Welcome back to the Book of Mormon with Grandma. We'll be in 1 Nephi 18 today. I have truly tried to combine a few of these, but they end up being just so long. Sorry about that. <clears throat> well, the ship is finished and it's time to set sail. I read a quote from Brigham Young that said, Do you read the scriptures, my brethren and sisters, as though you were writing them a thousand, two thousand, or five thousand years ago? Do you read them as though you stood in the place of the men who wrote them? If you do not feel this, it is your privilege to do so. Well, after I read that, I said, nope, cannot, do not want to put myself in the ship with all those people and animals and smells. And I do not want to set out on the ocean in a ship that'll be tossed all over the sea. But I understand what Brigham Young was saying. And so it got me to thinking about this podcast and this chapter. And I tried to put myself in their place in many of those things. What are they thinking right now? Do any of them have claustrophobia? These are men from the desert who have probably never sailed before. Did they get training? Did the Lord train them in the ways of the sea? Are they looking out at the ocean and thinking, wow, just wow, how long is this going to take? And what does the new place look like? Sometimes I think about my children when we're traveling and we're, are we there yet? How much longer? Are they looking back and saying how much they'll miss their homeland? What other things do you think they're thinking? So here we go. Think about some of those things and what you might think about in putting yourself in their place. This is in 1 Nephi 18.5. And it came to pass that the voice of the Lord came unto my father that we should arise and go down into the ship. And it came to pass that on the morrow, after we had prepared all things, much fruits and meat from the wilderness and honey in abundance and provisions according to that which the Lord had commanded us, we did go down into the ship with all our loading and our seeds and whatsoever thing we had brought with us, every one according to his age. Wherefore, we did all go down into the ship with our wives and our children. So Nephi tells us that while in the wilderness that Sariah had two more sons, Jacob and Joseph. Some have said that by this time that they're entering the ship, they probably have around 60 to 80 souls between adults and children. I find it interesting that he says they all went down into the ship, everyone according to his age. We're not told if that was the oldest to the youngest, but I would assume it was Lehi and Sariah first, and then everyone from there on down by age of the sons and their families. I would assume that because they have such a strong paternal um, respect. So off they go. Okay, back to verse 8. And it came to pass after we had all gone down, down into the ship and had taken with us our provisions and things which had been commanded us, we did put forth into the sea and were driven forth before the winds towards the promised land. There are specific times that it's safe to set sail. Remember last year when we talked about them taking Paul to Rome, and he told them it was not safe to travel at that time, and then they ended up getting shipwrecked. Well, John L. Sorensen, um, he's a professor of ancient history at BYU, says that they would depend on the monsoon winds from the west to bear the vessel across the Indian Ocean. Typically, ships left the Arabian coast on the wind on that wind between mid-March and early May, although a date a bit later, in uh, late August, early September, he says, cannot be ruled out. So that was Elder, um, sorry, John L. Sorensen, the professor of ancient history. So there are certain times, and I, it's interesting that the Lord would bring them about to that time. So now they've been on the ship for what Nephi says is many days, and now there's a party forming up. The boys have decided to get married. But remember, they need the Liahona to work to show them which way to go and what to do. 
So remember that when you're reading. Verse 9, And after they had been driven forth before the wind for the space of many days, behold, my brethren and the sons of Ishmael and also their wives begin to make themselves merry, insomuch that they begin to dance and to sing and to speak with much rudeness, yea, even that they did forget by what power they had been brought thither, yea, they were lifted up unto exceeding rudeness. So rudeness means rough or vulgar, uh, like a barbarian, that kind of um, speaking. The commentary on the Book of Mormon by George Reynolds and Jane Shodall said that maybe they were intoxicated. More than likely, they said they had a good supply of grapes and grape juice, and I don't know, maybe it became fermented, they said. Certainly no excuse for their behavior, but might explain some of their rudeness. Okay, back to 10. And I, Nephi, began to fear exceedingly, lest the Lord should be angry with us and smite us because of our iniquity, that we should be swallowed up in the depths of the sea. Wherefore, I, Nephi, began to speak to them with much soberness. But behold, they were angry with me, saying, We will not that our younger brother shall be a ruler over us. So you know this is not the first time that Nephi was tried talking to his brothers, and it has caused him some terrible consequences. He's worried, but he's also more worried about the Lord being angry with them. Sometimes we might see others acting like a fool and being rude and unrighteous, but what should we do about that? Robert D. Hales said this, To respond in a Christ-like way cannot be scripted or based on a formula. The Savior responded differently in every situation. When he was confronted by wicked King Herod, he remained silent. When he stood before Pilate, he bore a simple and powerful testimony of his divinity and purpose. Facing the money changers who were defiling the temple, he exercised his divine responsibility to preserve and protect that which was sacred. Lifted up upon a, on a cross, he uttered the incomparable Christian response, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As we respond to others, each circumstance will be different. As true disciples seek guidance from the Spirit, they receive inspiration tailored to each encounter. And in every encounter, true disciples respond in ways that invite the Spirit of the Lord. That was Robert D. Hales. It will always help us to enlist the Lord's help if we want to say something about someone's behavior. Okay, let's go see how Laman and Lemuel responded. This is back to 11. And it came to pass that Laman and Lemuel did take me and bind me with cords, and they did treat me with much harshness. Nevertheless, the Lord did suffer it that he might show forth his power unto the fulfilling of his word, which he had spoken concerning the wicked. And it came to pass that after they had bound me insomuch that I could not move, the compass which had been prepared of the Lord did cease to work. Uh Uh-oh. Just as Nephi feared, the Leahona quits working and he's tied up by his brothers and the sons of Ishmael. They didn't know how to steer the ship and now a great storm comes up. He doesn't tell us much about the storm other than whatever it was, they lost some travel days. Four days out, driven back four days, and they lost eight days of travel. Their merrymaking is causing some rude behavior. Lehi tries to talk to them, but again, as Nephi said, they were past feeling and now even their dad trying to get them to behave is not changing things they just are not listening to anyone in fact they threatened anyone who tried to speak for Nephi or help him and now Nephi makes mention that this whole fiasco has taken a toll on Lehi and Sarai and they become physically ill not only because of the treatment of their sons but probably because of the violence of the storm and the rocking of the ship they become very sick and Nephi feared they were so sick they were not going to make it and they were sick enough to die He feared he would be burying his parents at sea. He watched as his little brothers Jacob and Joseph were so sad about their mother because he could not help them in any way. Even Nephi's wife and children begged the brothers to let him go. 
but not even the children could reach the hard hearts of his brothers and the sons of Ishmael. Here's an interesting concept. Look how the behavior of a few affected the whole group on the ship. Sometimes we have to look at our behavior to see how it affects others, or how others' behavior affects us. Not long ago in our Sunday school class, we had a young man who had come to class for the first time. He was openly rude, and every comment he made was so off the subject and negative, and whatever he said was for shock value. It not only affected the, some of the kids in the room who were visibly shaken by his behavior, but also caused the spirit to exer- exit faster than we could even catch him as he went out the door. We could feel it gone as we tried to recover the lesson, but ultimately it was a lost lesson. But his behavior so affected the others in the room, a few even came to us after and said, who was that kid? We've never seen him before. Behavior does affect those around us, and Laman and Lemuel's behavior was no exception. It seemed to take them more than a few days now to figure out why this is happening. They've been down this road before. Why didn't they think their behavior in merrymaking was the problem? That if they could just loose Nephi, maybe things would change. But all of a sudden, they start to realize that maybe it's them, and the Lord is mad at them for what they've done, and they finally let Nephi loose. He says his wrists and ankles were swollen and sore from being tied up, and I'm sure from being thrashed around in the storm against the ship, no matter how hard this trial has been, Uh, for Nephi, he got right up and prayed to the Lord and looked at the Liahona to tell where to go and took control of the ship and took them to the promised land. I would think that visual to his brothers would be something that would change them in their behavior. But this is what Nephi says, verse 20, and there was nothing save it were the power of God, which threatened them with destruction could soften their hearts. Wherefore, when they saw that they were about to be swallowed up in the depths of the sea, they repented of the thing which they had done, insomuch that they loosed me. They couldn't resolve their behavior on their own, or by the words of their brother, or even their sickly parents. They had to be threatened to be drowned in the depths of the sea before they would change. One thing that's interesting is that we get when we get down to Mosiah, you'll see that the Lamanites use this particular incident as a main point in their rebellion to say that they were wronged while crossing the sea. That was their sticking point. Even in the face of miracles, they could not get past their anger at their brother and the fact that they did not want him ruling over them and that the Lord chose him to do so. Nevertheless, in spite of everything, they all made it safely to the promised land, and they pitched their tents and began to work to make a home. I wonder what the ship looked like when they landed. Was it thrashed? I wonder what they did with it. Used it for firewood? Who knows? Thinking about Brigham Young's quote, put yourself in their place. What would you do with the ship? The first order of business, once they got there, would have been to plant their seeds in preparation for a harvest, for things to eat. This is in verse 24. And it came to pass that we did begin to till the earth, and we began to plant seeds. Yea, we did put all our seeds into the earth, which we had brought from the land of Jerusalem. And it came to pass that they did grow exceedingly, wherefore we were blessed in abundance. And it came to pass that we did find upon the land of promise, as we journeyed in the wilderness, that there were beasts in the forest of every kind, both the cow and the ox, and the ass and the horse, and the goat and the wild goat, and all manner of wild animals, which were for the use of men. And we did find all manner of ore, both of gold and of silver and of copper. So imagine their surprise when everything they planted grew in abundance. And there were every kind of beast you could imagine. And Nephi also found ore. And that's going to be important in First Nephi 19. I'm sure they must have thought to themselves, this truly is a promised land. So going back to Nephi's trials with his brother, how do you think we can remain strong and not, and not let it affect our behavior? We're in the midst of a trial. 
Elder Neil L. Anderson said this in conference a couple of years ago. How do you remain steadfast and immovable during a trial of faith? You immerse yourself in the very things that help to build your core of faith. You exercise faith in Christ. You pray. You ponder the scriptures. You repent. You keep the commandments and you serve others. When faced with a trial, whatever you do, don't you don't step away from the church. Distancing yourself from the kingdom of God during a trial of faith is like leaving the safety of a secure storm cellar just as the tornado comes into view. That was Elder Anderson. Look, let me just say that trials are hard, and sometimes we just sit down and struggle. But the idea is that we need to remain faithful and keep doing the things we should do, even if it looks like the trial is not going away anytime soon. We have to continue to talk to the Lord and tell them that we are struggling and let him tell us how to help. So, until next time. 